My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. When I was in fifth grade, we had to stand in front of our class and do a speech about what we wanted to be when we grew up, simply called the When I Grow Up speech. Being naive and in fifth grade, I told the class that I wanted to be an Imagineer, someone who works for Disney designing rides, illustrating movies, and pretty much doing anything creative. Unfortunately, I severely underestimated the amount of engineering knowledge that goes into being an Imagineer. At the heart of it, I simply wanted to be an illustrator or cartoonist. I'd spend countless hours at home drawing at my desk in my room, doodling in a sketchbook, or recreating my favorite Calvin and Hobbes comic strips. And as I grew older, I found myself paging endlessly through my dad's book compilations of cartoons from The New Yorker. Obviously, my ambitions to become a full-time cartoonist didn't pan out like in fifth grade. But today, I'm going to talk to someone who does, in fact, cartoon for a living. In addition to cartooning for The New Yorker, today's guest has a new book coming out in November titled Murder Book. Ladies and gentlemen, Hillary Fitzgerald Campbell. Hillary, welcome to the Sunday Scaries podcast. You and I have been emailing back and forth for what feels like months now, and I've been following you on Instagram for what feels like a even longer now, but it's so good to have you here. Thank you so much. I am both thrilled and honored to be here. I knew that we would be friendly once I saw the third page of your book where you showed your love for cartoons, White Wan on Ice, and Frasier, which we'll get to later today. But from there, I really dove in harder than I expected to. Please tell me all about Murder Book. Murder Book, where does one begin? So, yeah, so like, you know, as any woman in America these days, I am obsessed with murder, have been for quite some time. Um, and, uh, several years ago when I was like, I had finished up another book and was like, what the hell am I going to do now? I had a call with my agent and was kicking around some ideas and I'm like, well, you know, my mom and I are just on the phone constantly talking about murder and death. And she's like, that sounds interesting. And, and, and so, and so it began. Um, so murder book, um, you know, years later coming out into the world and it's, it's part memoir, part like trying to figure out why the hell am I obsessed with this shit? But then it's also, you know, it's looking at the history of true crime as a genre. It's looking at the pop culture. It's like also a love letter to true crime junkies like myself. So it's, it's a whole hodgepodge of things really. Uh, Why do you think that true crime is such a female driven category? I know you kind of answer this in the book, but for for those listening, why do you think that that it's so female driven versus, you know, men being into it? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, we all we have, you know, there's a lot of theories one can make on this. So, I I think that it's largely because, you know, more often than not even though it's not true that m- women are killed more than men, you know, and men die at the hand of violence, um more but the what we see in the media and tv movies books podcasts are women are the victims and Mm -hmm. so i think that naturally women in the world then you know they identify with the victim they are there sympathy empathy and fear and fear that it could be you next Mm -hmm. um and so that's, you know, one of the larger reasons that I go through in the book, but, and, and, but it is, it's, 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 it is, it's funny that it's so gendered. Um, and I, I don't understand why men don't want to read it as much. Not to say that there's no men 
you know, that want to read it, but I, I don't get it. Like, so, you know, like, I feel like my dad will come in the room. My mom and I are watching, you know, the, some horrible, horrible, like green river killer show. <laughs> and my dad's like, my dad's like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, well, why don't you want to? Like, I don't get it. You know? It's weird. I, my entire life, I've always kind of avoided suspenseful, scary things. It's not because I actually get scared, but whenever I think about spending my free time doing something, I picture myself relaxing, putting on something that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Why do you think you love murder so much? Like, what what is it that that what need is fulfilled when you're sitting in front of the television watching a murder mystery or a true crime documentary or listening to a true crime podcast? It's finding out that other people's lives are worse than mine. You know, you go, oh, well, thank God. You know, I, <laughs> that's awful. But it's, you know, probably partly true. Um, I mean, I, I was just watching, I was home two weeks ago, and on Turner Classic Movies, there was this um, short film in between two movies, and I cannot even remember the name of it, but it was like, how to relax like how do you like how do you get your husband to relax and it was like this weird infomercial of this like frustrated man husband like bouncing around the house can't relax and then the narrator's like but the wife knows how to relax and it cuts to this wife in bed reading a book called wife killer and she's like (laughs) smiling and you know this is like from the 50s so like ain't nothing changed honey (laughs) but what you know I mean, why do you know, I do find it, you know, disturbingly relaxing? And but also, I mean, there's, you know, it's it's a game from your mind. It's like figuring out a puzzle, you know. So I think it's you know, people that love true crime, they want to get to the bottom of things. They need to have all the pieces of the story, you know. And um, and there and and it's also based in you know, for me and for most you know people that love true crime, it's based in anxiety. You know, it's like I think it's just like this crazy vicious cycle where you're worried, so then you're gonna find out why you should be worried about other people's, you know, and it just goes and over and over and over, and they kind of like feeds into each other. I'm a naturally anxious person, and based on when I first followed you on Instagram, I th- I don't know where I saw one of your cartoons, I but I thought to myself like this is exactly the sense of humor that I like feed into that anxiety with a little darkness to it. Would you say that you have a dark sense of humor? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I catch myself saying things in front of, um, in front of children that people look, they go, why would you say that in front of a child? I'm like, well, shouldn't we be honest? You know, I relate very much with that because my wife is a, uh, a medical professional who deals with a lot of somewhat gory situations, as I would put it. And sometimes she'll be talking at a group dinner or something. And I'm like, oh, no, that's a story for other medical people, not a story for like normal people who don't deal with blood on their <laughs> on their everyday schedule. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that has anything to do. I didn't even put this in the book I because mean, my dad's a doctor. My mom's a nurse. My sister's a nurse. Like so I and my grandpa, both my grandparents and doctors. I wonder if that played anything into it that I definitely grew up like with, you know, dinner table conversation just extremely medical, you know, like just blatantly talking about parts of the body. (laughs) It probably Um, normalized it for you at least a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, maybe I'll have to add an addendum to the book. Well, so when, with the book, uh, there is, I don't even know how to describe it. There is so much that had to have gone into this book, whether it was from you creating storyboards, whether it was you just coming up with the premise, what were the highs and lows of actually creating this book? I was shocked when I was paging through it at the just uh, the vast array of different drawings, creative takes on things. Uh, what did I mean? What did the highs and lows look like as you were going through the process of doing it? 
Oh, I had so many anxiety attacks. I mean, so I obviously, I mean, the hardest part is, I mean, with, with any project this big really is just starting it because mm-hmm. you're looking at it and you're like, okay, I have a year to finish. And then it's like, that's too much time to even think about, you know, and you're like, and what do I want to do? You know, just yeah. total really anxiety inducing of like, just like feeling like you're approaching a forest and you don't know how you're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say, um, God, what was, I mean, who hardest parts, hard parts were like, I really, it was once I knew what I was going to do, it was okay. You know, then I could like just draw it and like I could have law and order on and it's like, it's fine. I'm just drawing it right now. But the days when I would, you know, spend outlining and like worrying over something makes sense and, or like trying to find a thought I had maybe three years ago that I think was funny, that was kind of true crime related. Like, so I would have to just like scour, I keep all my notebooks and sketchbooks like obsessively because like God forbid, I forget any thought I've ever had. <laughs> um, so I think I definitely, the outlining, outlining is, is really hard, you know? And so what I did was um, to like, just to begin to approach the book is like, I got a box and I was this like wooden box. The murder box. Like, yes. The murder box. It was actually a wine, like a Cabernet, like a very fancy wine box. And I just put like any thought it's just scraps of paper for a while. It just was trying to collect everything. And then, um, you know, it's trying to separate things into like these ideas maybe go together and these ideas go together, you know, that this is over here. And then, I mean, I had points where my office was so insane, like just like note cards, like passing through, like, you know, it's like you're like looking at the timeline of my own life. Um, and, somehow it all came together. God, I don't even know. You know, it, it now it feels like it was all a fever dream. I'm yeah. like, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> I imagine that there was probably a large sigh of relief when you didn't have to make any more edits because I imagine that making an edit in a graphic memoir like this is much different than making an edit if you're just a writer. Uh, I got my kind of start in the creative world uh, simply writing. And if somebody sends you an edit, it's like, oh, perfect. I can just delete that sentence and move on. For you, you would have to somewhat rework an entire page or an entire, you know, you know, portion of the book. Is that difficult to endure when you're already feeling just absolutely zapped from the process? Yeah, I would say, I mean, yeah, I should have just said that up top when you asked me what's the worst part. It's absolutely <laughs> editing. It's like, like, I mean, you, I mean, I think that, you know, this is my first time doing a book this big and I'm sure my process will get like more fine tuned over time. And I'm, and I know that other like, you know, more, you know, uh, writers and artists that have done many books would be laughing at me for the way I like decided to go about things. But like once you've already drawn something and then someone says there's maybe something wrong with it, like you're going to start crying. You're like, no, yeah. there couldn't be anything wrong with it. Yeah. Um, because I draw on paper, um, I, I do some work digitally, but you know the whole book was on paper. So the, having to go into edit pages and if you have to redraw something, which is like it's just a part of the game, but it's yeah, it's it's it can be very painstaking. And then and then also like I'm actually horrible at grammar, like secret 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 about me <laughs> not good with grammar so when the copy editor came in at the end like after I mean like my editor had done her own like copy edit through everything and then they had another copy editor come on and like tell me that I missed like maybe literally like a thousand commas mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And I had to go back in. And that, of course, I did digitally. Like, I was like, I, you know, the, a comma is easy to do on Procreate. But that just took forever. And it's my own fault, you know? I mean, it, we're, everyone lies somewhere between being absolutely terrible at grammar and then being, like, a, an absolute grammar snob. So I don't think there's any any shame there. I do hate grammar snobs. I'm not going to lie. The people that come on my Instagram and are like, um, oh, well, this sketch you had in your notebook is actually not grammatically correct. I'm like, you can go jump off a cliff. Yeah, it's like this is like, a cartoon. What, like, what, what, what <laughs> issue do you have with it right now? God, that shit, that's like, there's this part of my, there's some rage I have towards those people. I would imagine that doing something for the New Yorker is much different than doing an entire book. Do you ever encounter, like, I put down writer's block, but I don't think that's the appropriate term for it. Is there, is there a cartoonist term for writer's block? Oh my God, of course. It's like every weekend. Um, no, well, I, I well, a, a bunch of the cartoonists, um, you know, here are the New Yorker cartoonists here. We're all friends, you know, and so whenever one of us is in a rut and you can be in a rut for like a month to some or longer, yeah. you can be in awful ruts where you're like, I just don't have ideas. You know, like I, I have ideas for other things, but I don't have ideas for New Yorker cartoons. And I would say I'm kind of in one of those, right. I'm like, I got nothing right now. And um, when that happens, I think my friend Ellis Rosen always says the best thing is like, you can't have output without input. And it's like, if you don't have any ideas right now, that means you just need to like go do a bunch of stuff. Like yeah. you need to get out of the house, see your friends, go drive somewhere, you know, just do anything so that you're like, you get things moving and then you are reminded about something in life that bothers you. <laughs> you're like, you're like yeah. once you leave, you'll find something that bothers you that'll ultimately become a cartoon later. Um, but, but absolutely major, major ruts when it comes to gag cartooning or, you know, you're like, I need to, I want to, draw this longer story. What is it that I want to pitch here? What is it that I want to pitch there? And, you know, I, I do feel like, I, I mean, being an author, writer, artist, whatever it is, like you're constantly having to like mine your own personal trauma for like mm -hmm. content. And you're like, <laughs> you, you obviously hit a wall sometimes. Well, before we get to some more questions, let's hear from one of this week's sponsors. And then I'm going to start picking your brain about how you even got to the point where you got right now. So let's hear from our sponsor this week, Etitude. The dirty not-so-secret about the bedding aisle is that while cotton might be the most popular fabric for sheets, duvets, and pillowcases, it's also the most damaging to our planet. Even organic cotton takes its toll, and that's why I'm so thrilled to introduce you to Etitude. Made from naturally organic bamboo, Etitude's sheets are made without toxic chemicals and use 500 times less water than cotton. Plus, they're silky soft, so they're comfortable for you and the environment. I'm a very hot sleeper, so when I got these sheets in, I could not wait to put them on my bed, and sure enough, I slept so well that night and every single night since. I get excited every time I get to put the sheets back on the bed, and they are so soft, they're helping me sleep better, and I feel better because I'm reducing my environmental impact. Unlike cotton, which consumes massive amounts of water, energy, and chemicals during production, Etitude uses naturally organic bamboo, the most resource-efficient plant on the planet. Etitude's sheets wick away moisture and regulate your temperature to keep you cool and comfortable throughout the night. And you can try any Etitude bedding for 30 nights. And if you're not completely satisfied, just return it for a full refund. Right now, you can get 20% off your order plus free shipping when you visit Etitude.com slash scaries and enter promo code scaries. 
Remember, that's attitude as in eco-attitude. Order today for free shipping and 20% off your order at attitude.com slash scaries, promo code scaries. Okay, Hillary, when did you know that you wanted to become an artist, cartoonist, creative person? Like, was it always just in your DNA? Uh, I mean, was it something that you always strived for or did you just kind of fall into it? I was four. No, I I I remember waking up three years old thinking, (laughs) mom, this is it. No, um... Oh, God. I mean, I started drawing cartoons when I was a kid. So but I definitely I didn't think I was going to become a cartoonist like until fairly recently in my life. You know, like I was always drawing. Um, I actually was way more obsessed with drawing realistically when I was young. Like I was like major like pencil and like everything was like photorealism. And I just and I would like constantly draw like, you know movie stars and just mm-hmm. like my whole thing. Um, and I've been that, and it was like that and then movies themselves. Like my mom just sort of like raised me watching Turner classic movies. I was just like an immediate like movie junkie, like who quote anything. And like people thought I was weird at school. Cause like anything that came up, I'd be like, that's like that movie. And everyone's like, we're in real life, Hillary. And I'm like, <laughs> are we? I'm not sure. Um, but so I, you know, and, and I guess it just when it came time to like be like, I guess we have to go to college now. I I went to film school because I didn't really know what else to do. Really, I was like, well, I'm not going to do any of these other things. Like, yeah. I'm just, and I'm definitely not going to be a doctor. <laughs> um, and my, I mean, my, my mom and my dad were always extremely encouraging of my art, and I'm very grateful for that. I don't think you know I would have like gone all the directions that I've that I've you know gone in since then if it wasn't for their support. So. I went to film school and I mean, I, I always kind of drew on the side and, but was that at that point, you know, just, or I went to UC Santa Barbara and, and was very, very just into screenwriting and, you know, telling stories. And, and actually I actually worked in documentary for a while and I had several films on the film circuit that went, actually I did, I won some awards if you can believe it or not. I saw and- that. I actually was in the office yesterday watching small talk on my laptop and I was very much enjoying it. And I saw that you actually won an award for it at the Traverse City Film Festival, which is very close to my hometown. So I was very into it. Oh, really? Oh, God, that's Michael Morris. That was so fun. That was a great festival. I've, um, had, I've heard that it's a great time, but I've never actually gone to it. It's, you know, when film festivals can, like, return happily again. I think they're kind of back now, but probably not, you know, the wild, wild west that they once were. Um, but that's, I love that time. But. So I did that, and then I actually I worked in film festivals, and then I just kind of, like, had a classic manic meltdown. Like, I was like, oh, my God, I'm not on the right side of the table. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just, like, I'm, I'm kind of managing artists, and I was, like, working a slam dance, um, and it was a great experience, but I just sort of realized, I was like, I, I want to be the artist. I don't want to be running this thing anymore. Yeah. And, um... I based, I was living in Los Angeles and I basically quit my job and packed my bags and moved to New York and like was like, I think I'm going to be a cartoonist. Like, <laughs> it's just like very little thought went into that, you know? Um, well, have you enjoyed and, being a full, I know like I, I can agree with you that when you start to manage people and not do as much of the creative work, it starts to bog you down a lot. I mean, do mm-hmm. you enjoy being a full-time creative? I know that there's a lot of stressful things to it. There's a lot of uncertainty and you kind of pave your own path. Has that been something that you've struggled with or embraced? It's, I mean, it's a 24 seven struggle, right? <laughs> of like, you know, 
once you start doing the thing you love for work and like, you'll still love it, but like it becomes pretty stressful. It's different. Um, it's, it's a different feeling once you actually get paid to do it and you're obligated to do it versus when you were doing it out of pure passion after your full-time job. It's just, it just feels different for some reason. It is because now I got the fucking pressure to make money, baby. <laughs> so I mean, it was a slow like I. It was a slow uptake, obviously. This like you know to where I am now. I I moved here, and to New York, and it's just I was nannying and a waitress, you know, and just sort of drawing in bars at night, and just started an Instagram and was like, here I go, you know, mm-hmm. and um. I was just doing that as much as I could. And the first gig that really helped me out and like kind of, you know, set, set, set my wheels a rolling was I illustrated, um, feminist fight club by Jessica Bennett. And that book definitely just like put me out there as like, I can now get hired as a you know yeah. illustrator and cartoonist. And, and then it took, I, I started submitting to the New Yorker and it took me a year yeah, of, like submitting every week and, you know, naturally getting better once you just start drawing at that level. You, you, you know, it's just like this. They say to write, if you write every day, you're going to get better. If you draw yeah. every day, you're going to get more fine tuned in your work. And um, so I, I, I think it must have been like late 2016 or early 2017 that I finally, you know, I sold my first thing at The New Yorker. Um, but that does not, you know, that's not like filling your bank account right away. So yeah. it's like, it's, it's a big hustle. And, and, um, there was a period after basically feminist fight club where I'd like gotten enough money where I was like, okay, I can break free. I can like break free from like my waitress gig, but now I better keep making, you know? So it's like, then you begin the grind of self-promoting and trying to get any job you can get at all do you like self-promoting oh well no nobody oh my god like (laughs) kill me you know i'm i was just looking for validation there as somebody who does not love doing it but understands the absolute need to do it yep yeah i mean now i've moved over to Substack, you know and and i'm very happy with it but now i'm like desperately trying to like continue to grow that and like having to ask people all the time to sign up for my newsletter and i'm like i hate having to say it but please do it you know (laughs) (laughs) was it validating to see your work in the new yorker for the first time i feel like it's such a highly regarded publication i mean i i as a kid, my dad not only got the New Yorker, but he also had the compilation books of all the cartoons, and I would page through them, and I wouldn't understand any of the the humor or the jokes or the the lines. Any, I wouldn't understand anything, but I was so entranced by the style of it that I just couldn't take my eyes off of it. I still don't get the jokes. No. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Um, no, it's a huge honor. Are you kidding me? Like, I like I still can't believe it. And I'm like, oh, wow, there it is. You know, like, holy shit. Um, it's, it's really, it's, quite frankly, it's cool. You yeah. know, it, it is cool. And, and, and on top of it, it's just like the most special group of people that I've ever met. Like, being friends with cartoonists is actually, I'm like, I don't know if there's a kinder funnier group of people you know because there's on the other side of things if you're doing comedy and doing stand-up comedy everybody's not so nice you know yeah, <laughs> like there's that, like that, that might be world. a little harsher but the world of cartoonists are like everyone's just 
just cool and nice and funny. And um, I'm just very grateful and like honored to like just be in that group. I, I wish you wouldn't have told me that because my lifelong dream, my entire childhood was to be a cartoonist and I just never made it happen. And, and it's <laughs> killed me ever since. Oh no. Something, something else in the same breath of not understanding New Yorker cartoons as a child is the television show Frasier, which we've already mentioned. So I watched Frasier as a kid with my parents, and I thought they were British the entire time until my parents explained <laughs> that they're not British, they're rich. And I didn't understand any of the jokes until I started watching it on Lifetime. They would play two episodes a night for a, a long period of time, and I would record every single episode. And somehow, as like a guy in my mid-20s, I just fell in love with this, this show. What are your favorite Frasier episodes, and why do you think Frasier has made such a comeback as of late? I think Frasier is the most soothing sitcom that's ever been made. I mean, my friend Kelsey and I just talk about this endlessly. Like, I honestly think that, like, the color scheme is yes. really welcoming. Mm -hmm. Like, it, there's oranges and reds and browns, and, and, then, and then we all know about Frasier Bane now. But I, I, it's so lovely and i mean i think everybody right everyone's just like constantly wishing they were living back in the 90s so it's like it's just the idea of this like beautiful safe space where everything sort of just makes sense in this home you know <laughs> um and and god damn it if those jokes aren't so witty and so i mean they're assholes but i don't care exactly you know? like, well that's a like, lot of the, my favorite shows are people being assholes but they don't care like i mean succession is one of those shows where you should hate every single character on the show mm -hmm. but it's like yeah, that's kind of why you start to gravitate towards them because they're so hateable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You pointed I, out some of your favorite episodes when we were emailing back and forth. And one of them yes. that stuck out to me was the one where they're having, I forget why they're having a dinner party at a, at a house on the coast, but there's like a it's, seal. It's Maris's. Okay. So it's, it's, it's Niles. It's like so embarrassed that he lives at that, you know, it's like post-divorce and he like has to move into whatever that place is where it's like the shitty, you know, apartment building that he's horrified, can't be seen in. Yes. And has to like have a dinner party. I don't remember if it's for like that wine group they're in, like the Corkage or whatever they are. It might be. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, and he's like, I can't have it here. And they can't have it at Frazier's for whatever reason. And so he's like going to break into Maris's beach house to host this dinner party while she's out of town. And then everyone starts arriving and there's like this dead seal or something on the beach right in front of the house. And it smells so bad. And it's just the greatest comedy of errors after that, where it like gets to the point, um, as you well know that, you know, everyone thinks that he's actually murdered Maris. <laughs> I think and that makes sense that you would like that episode so much compared to some other ones. <laughs> the murder. I think my favorite episode of all time is Road of Perdition, where they're getting black market caviar from some sketchy Russian boat, and it's like, <laughs> oh my god, they're drug dealers, and for some reason, it's it just uh, it's my favorite episode, and every time I've shown it to somebody, they've been a little suspect that it's actually going to be good, <laughs> and by the end of it, they're cracking up as they're just shoveling caviar into their mouths. Yes, yes. No. Oh God. Every episode is an actual gem. I mean, I think people like to say, you know, that there's some seasons that aren't as good as others. And I say, shut up. Yeah. I, like, they're all great. I mean, we, you know, they all, uh, the lowest point is when they say that Daphne's fat. Like, that's, we know, we go, that's the yes. low point yes. when they're calling her fat. And you're like, let's never speak of this ever again. It's really not okay. But <laughs> otherwise, I just, I love it all. 
I fall asleep to it every night and I, I can't, I can, now I can't even imagine like a world in which that wasn't like just a part of my existence. I know my, my wife and I, she was not as in, she didn't really care for Fraser at all before she met me. And then by, uh, you know, a year into our relationship, it was every night. All right. What, what episodes of Fraser are we putting on right now? I could talk to you about Fraser for a very long time, but I don't think that's our, our best way to use our time today. Before we get to some Sunday questions, let's hear from our next sponsor. If you need a little life insurance. Be right back. I want to talk for a minute about things that have fundamentally changed the way that we live. These are the disruptors. Things like smartphones, streaming services, whiter than white paint that actually cools down buildings. There are so many things out here that are disruptors. And another one I heard of recently is at a company called Ladder, who basically took the life insurance industry, flipped it upside down, and shook out the inefficiencies. Before Ladder, if you wanted to get life insurance, you had to drive across town, sit through a sales pitch, fill out a ton of paperwork, and then wait six to eight weeks to find out that you've been approved. You'd probably also get a zillion phone calls from agents trying to bundle your life insurance with things like car insurance. But now with Ladder, you can get fast, affordable term life insurance without leaving your home. It's 100% digital when you apply for $3 million or less in coverage. No doctors, no needles, no paperwork. So if you're between the ages of 20 and 60, you need coverage and you want to team up with a company that's redeeming life insurance, choose Ladder. And when I think about how I recently had a child, I think that it was so crazy to me that I never had life insurance before this. And now with Ladder, I don't have to worry about that at all. It is so easy to sign up. The process is quick, efficient, and it makes you feel good. Go to ladderlife.com slash scaries today to see if you're instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash scaries, ladderlife.com slash scaries. Okay, Hillary, I did not prep you for these questions at all, but I've got some very Sunday questions for you. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What is your ideal Sunday outfit? Oh, oh my God. Um, my sleepless in Seattle oversized t-shirt. Mm-hmm. And biking shorts. Okay. Like long, long, you know, like they go to the, they like go to the knee. I'm very jealous of this t-shirt. I may need to go on like Etsy and go find a Sleepless in Seattle t-shirt or a You've Got Mail t-shirt. Yes. I honestly have like multiple Sleepless in Seattle shirts. <laughs> they recently took, the, have you ever seen the website for the You've Got, for You've Got Mail that they used they to have? They took it down! I know. They recently took it down. I was trying to show it to somebody and I was devastated that they got rid of it. It was the perfect time capsule back to the 90s. I know. Well, I wonder if it still exists on what's that like archive? Probably. Probably. You have to find it. I could have, it was horrible. Why would you take that down? It It, doesn't make any sense. It's a terrible, I think it was Warner Brothers. And like, it's a terrible move from them to take that down. It was the perfect website for any movie. Rude. Our next question Do you drink coffee? And if so, how do you take your coffee? Oh my God. Okay. Here's my big thing is like, I make coffee and then I, I don't really drink. <laughs> you just like sit there with it. You like the process of coffee more than actually drinking it. People are going to cancel me after this. You're like, you're wasting coffee. I'm like, okay, so I suffer horribly from acid reflux. Like okay. I can't, I shouldn't be drinking coffee, let alone wine. Um, this is like, this is why I put white ice on my wine. People think it's like a cute thing I do. And I'm like, no, I literally can't handle alcohol. Um, no. Okay. So I love Coffee that's mostly French vanilla creamer. Okay. 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 So, you know, like if we're making the coffee, we're putting a shit ton of creamer in and then I'm probably, you know, drinking a quarter of the cup. That's okay. And and I'm constantly reheating it. That's okay. What's your go-to hangover cure? (gasps) 
people are going to, they're not going to believe this. They're going to say, what? I honestly think fresh air does so much. Like, I, it's the last thing you want to do is go outside. Mm-hmm. But if you just go on this sort of like whatever walk that isn't towards anything, there's something about the fresh air hitting me that really does help on top of, of course, like chicken strips, you know? Yeah. I think that's a very good hangover cure. I think I, my, my ideal hangover situation is like me lying down on like a large green, like lawn or something and just not Mm -hmm. having to move or do anything, but just existing with the fresh air. I think it truly does help. Absolutely. And you have to have like a really weird outfit on where you're like, (laughs) I don't know what I thought, you know, and somehow I have moccasins with socks and a dress, but also a scarf. You're like, we're not sure. Something that you have confidence in, but like you shouldn't have confidence in. You just feel you're feeling it that day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's your go-to Sunday movie or television show that you might just toss on in the background or toss on at the end of the night just to feel a little, little better about things? Oh my God. Okay. I mean, that's, um, it's always basically a nineties erotic thriller, you know, like it just, anything of that genre i mean this this month we're in our spooky season so of course it's actually practical magic currently okay. you know, that's gonna make me feel really good but you know i'm looking for some sleepless um not no i just said so no sleeping with the enemy oh my god what an amazing julia roberts film <laughs> anything with ashley judd um oh she's got a she seems to have a laundry list of uh, some suspenseful movies on her resume Kiss the Girls, amazing, Double Jeopardy, seen it a million times, I'll watch it again. Oh, and The Pelican Brief, that's yes. my, oh, that's like my number one. I recently read something about the, oh no, it was in Murder Book, about how everyone loves The Pelican Brief, your mom said it. I was like, why, why yes. did I know this? Where did I read that? How yeah. funny. I was like, huh, not many people talk about The Pelican Brief all that often, but that's exactly where. <laughs> I'm the only one talking about The Pelican <laughs> Brief, quite frankly. <laughs> If I opened your refrigerator right now, what would I find inside of it? Oh, God, it's embarrassing. I literally have leftover nachos. Like, that's not something you save, you know? And I'm like, we don't know. I might want them. Yeah. <laughs> might, toss, might toss them in the uh, in the oven and see what happens. Just sort of just have a soggy chip, you know, and then like dog food. So <laughs> That's easy. That's a, that's a very New York fridge, leftovers yeah. and dog food. Yeah. Uh, what's on your bedside table? Ooh, okay. So I've got um, I've got Cat Cohen's book, um, a Modern Gal About Town, right? Is that the name of it? Uh, the book of poems that are so funny and they just kind of like they cheer me up. Um, and um, some Snoopy books, honestly. Oh. I love. I mean, I just love Schultz so much. And I think that there's maybe not a more adult comic out there than Peanuts. Like, I, there is any thought or feeling or experience you've had, it is somewhere in the 50 years of Peanuts and Snoopy and Charlie Brown. And, like, it's 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 a philosophical comic. It's so <laughs> wonderful. Um, and, I've, and I've got an eye mask that I don't use, but it's, like, silky, and it, like, I like to think I'll use it, yeah, you know? Yeah. I have, like, I have a... Um... Uh, it's not a decanter, but it look. I mean, it's essentially a decanter, but it's it's just one of those bedside uh, table things for water. And mm-hmm. I always think that it's a great idea and I'm going to use it because it's there for a purpose. But I always end up just bringing a giant glass of water and I'm like, yeah, this yeah. is just one of those things that makes me feel good, even though I don't actually use it for anything. Exactly. I mean, on top of just the like the 40 glasses of water that are obviously in my bedroom. That's the motto. You have to have a bunch on your table that are just half drank, not even touched, like whatever. The final question, what does your ideal Sunday consist of? 
A lot of TV, you know, like a lot of TV, <laughs> but the, but like Law and Order, like I, like just like TV. I know and love it. it, it it's not going to like affect me so much. Is that I'm just going to live inside of it, and mm-hmm. and um, I typically spend Sundays um, because so you know you want to have your New Yorker batch ready to go by like Monday night or like in the middle of Monday night. Um, so. On Sundays, I like to just sort of sit around and I go through all my sketchbooks and I try to flag anything, like an old idea. I'm like, oh, draw that this week. Like, even if it's like years old, I'm like, you forget stuff. So I sort of, yeah, I spend Sundays, I look through, which is basically my diary. So it's like a little traumatizing every time to be like, (laughs) oh, damn it. There's that again. Just Um, bringing up unresolved issues on a Sunday afternoon. Just constantly having Mm -hmm. an existential crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, that and, you know, some sort of, I like to tell myself I'm going to eat healthier on Sundays, you know, and, and just, and being sleepy, but like per, somehow productive. I think that's the ideal Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, Hillary, mm-hmm. you're, what, when does your book uh, come out? Can you implore everyone to go buy it right now? I beg of you, you know, <laughs> help me out here. <laughs> um, the murder book comes out November 9th in a bookstore near you slash on the interwebs, of course. And you can find out everything you need to know about murder book at www.hillarysmurderbook.com. There we and go. it's a website that looks like it's from 1992. So you should just go look at that just if you're just like trying to have fun too. I mean, if we've proved anything throughout this process, it's that we very much enjoy a nice 90s designed website. Absolutely. I, I think I still live in the 90s, <laughs> which is like why my uh, apartment looks like this. <laughs> well, Hillary, thank you so much for joining us. I enjoyed Murder Books so much and I will be checking more of your stuff out, whether it's in the New Yorker, on Instagram or wherever else it is. Thank you so much for having me. If you liked what you heard today, make sure to subscribe, review, or tell a friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. You can also follow along on Twitter, at Sundayscaries, and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries. Or you can follow me both on Twitter and Instagram at Will DeFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday.